Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. Uh, my name is Ray Welker. I'm a Cloud Solutions architect. Joining us here today, as always, is Tom Kowalski. Hello. And uh, we have a special guest here today, a longtime friend and someone I've been working with here closely as well, Dan Sykes. He's a principal DevOps engineer. Thank you for joining us, Dan. Glad to be here. And in this episode, uh, we're going to discuss the evolution and impact of DevOps. Definitely a broad topic here today. I don't think any of us would probably be doing our jobs without DevOps as a whole and just kind of the, uh, you know, the culture and mindset. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack and definitely would like to get started kind of from like, you know, round zero. This was pretty much a methodology around like agile development back in like 2009, coined by the godfather of DevOps, Patrick Boys. Definitely one of the leading gurus wrote the DevOps handbook. And yeah, kind of has framed the way that we do DevOps today and technology and how we, you know, how organizations structure uh, their teams and methods to today. Pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, can, can you imagine like if Netflix was, you know, releasing once a month, if they didn't have DevOps methodologies in place, like, can you imagine a world where we only do once a month deployments for, for these major organizations? I, I like the the intro of the evolution of DevOps because I honestly do think that's exactly what DevOps started out as, and that's what it continues to be as we move forward. It's constantly evolving to fit the industry needs. That's really what DevOps is at its core, is it's trying to solve business problems with automation. And if we can increase our ability to do things faster, then ultimately, you know, the business succeeds as you, you know, just around Netflix only releasing once a month. I don't think that would be very good for their business model. <laughs> no, for most organizations in general, it's like they, 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 they adopt these practices and, you know, it's, it's ideally to, yeah, meet business needs. Like you said, push code, release them, release new features faster. I, I, I always, I remember the early term, it's called like uh, move fast and, and break things. We've, we've evolved a little bit since then, you know, a lot more shifting left, left and uh, testing earlier on, but, but yeah, it's, it's still at, a, at the core, I believe. So I guess in your guys' mind, like how, how have you seen DevOps evolve over the years? In my personal journey. So I started off as a PHP, if you can remember those days. So PHP is making a comeback, at least in terms of popularity, it's showing up a lot more in Reddit posts and YouTube feeds and stuff that I that I'm watching and reading. But for me, I started off writing PHP, building websites for you know as a freelancer, and then I was just like, man, I'm getting really tired of doing the same steps over and over again. It would be really nice if I could figure out a way to like make the computer do this for me. And so for even in my own journey, it was a actual evolution of just a need that I had 
I didn't even know what DevOps was. I had never heard of it. I was just a guy writing webs. I was just writing PHP. I didn't even know what it was. And I got on YouTube and I got introduced to this thing called Docker. I had no idea what that was all about. I didn't know anything about Linux and have a clue what I was getting myself into and just obsessed over what DevOps actually is and learned it. And, and, you know, I use it quite often now and I, I, I recommend reading several books actually, but the, the one I'm currently on is build. Uh, if you guys are familiar with build, that one goes over. It's by uh, Tony Fidel, and that one goes over a lot of really, really interesting things uh, in in terms of DevOps. Yeah, I've added that to the list of books that I've been meaning to read. <laughs> Build, okay, Tony Fidel. I'll have to look into that here. Uh, I know that I know the, like the main one people reference is like the DevOps Handbook. I've been told it's it's pretty much <laughs> the law for for those in tech nowadays. So. Um, definitely a good read there as well, but, but yeah, I mean, like what I've seen, like companies are traditionally like they move away from that waterfall approach and they're moving towards more agile methodologies. I, I definitely see like, that's been the direction that we've been going forward with. And I, I really feel like a catalyst for a lot of, uh, innovation around DevOps has been like the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, for sure. I, I definitely feel as if. During that time, a lot of organizations realized we can do more, well, remotely, first of all, and and that we can use these practices to better our development. Uh, you know, we, we, we shifted from, like, talent pools even shifted at that point where, you know, you opened up to a broader spectrum of a remote and global workforce at that point as well. So, so you but, had a increase in, in number of users online. You think about all of the people that, you know, were essentially stuck at home and didn't have anywhere to go or anything to do except be online. And so, you know, just the demand, I, I, I would be very interested in seeing, like, I haven't done this research project, but I would be very interested in seeing statistics of, like, you know, server load, like, prior to the pandemic versus, you know, during the pandemic, because I would imagine that it would be substantial. Uh, you think about all like Tiger King, if you remember that documentary that was, I know the streaming services probably got hammered, but that was, you know, that was all the rage. And so if you think about all of the different services that we're used to using, whether it be Discord or Reddit, or, you know, social media apps of various kinds, they all operate on the same principles that, you know, we're discussing here. And, you know, they did it quite well. Uh, I didn't have any issues with my applications during COVID. And I was very appreciative of that because that was like the one thing that we hoped could stay right. <laughs> if we could like just sum it up for our listeners, like wh what does DevOps mean to you in kind of like the shortest, most concise manner, Dan? Yeah, it is. It, it's a lot of what we've said. It's, it's bridging the gap between development and operations in as efficient way possible. Like if it's code, it's code. If it's something else, it's something else. But DevOps to me is, it's more about scaling a business or scaling a team, scaling a whole whole organization rather than just scaling a single application. The same principles that we use to scale applications, you can also scale businesses that way. And so I look at DevOps as when people talk about DevOps being a culture and a way of operating, those words ring very true to me. It is it is a it is an approach or methodology of getting, you know, the, the stuff that is raw and untested and not ready for customer use into 
as ready as a state as it can be in and and as quick as time as possible. So DevOps is trying to balance the the developer experience with production operations and and trying to make sure that you know everybody's happy to some degree. You want your developers to be happy, their code's going to production. You want your customers to be happy, their applications are working as they expect. So really we're just we're people pleasers. We're going around and making people happy. That's what we do. <laughs> how would how would you maybe implement some ways to increase developer happiness per se, or, or to employ DevOps practices to kind of bridge that gap there to allow developers to produce code more bug-free, faster, so on and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the big challenges that I've seen at a number of jobs that, uh, I've, I've worked at across the years is, you know, just the developer onboarding experience. And so having, you know, how long does it take from the time that you hire your, your, your engineer to time to first commit where they're actually being productive, where they're, where they're, you know, they have the mind map of the application. They understand the different systems. They've reviewed enough architecture diagrams, and now they're starting to actually commit code, useful code to the code base. How much time does that take and what can DevOps do early on? in order to reduce that time to near zero, right? We want developers to be able to join. Obviously, they've got to get ramped up and learn the models and stuff of their own. That that you know That's a learning process. We can't really do much about that. But that time it takes to get your environment set up, to being able to actually start contributing code, that DevOps can solve. And, and you know, Docker has done a really great job of containers, you know, containers in general, making it easy to make applications more portable and, oh, you can run on your local machine like it can in the cloud, things like that. So, you know, DevOps has done a lot to make the developer experience uh, as good as it can be. And and if you look at, you know, just look at popular projects on GitHub, a lot of them, most of them are focused on enhancing the developer experience. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah, that's a pretty good point there. Um, something, something that like you said, kind of sticks out to me and it's, it's enhancing the developer experience. Uh, do you see anywhere where DevOps can also say enhance the data experience? I always feel like data is kind of left, left out when it comes to, you know, the, the idea of DevOps because code, code can be blown away in a DevOps, you know, methodology, right? You know, it can, it can, it can live and die. And it's always there, but data data always needs to persist, right? That's a very good point. And you know, the the DevOps, you know, mantra as of late, you know, people talk about cattle, not pets, to your point about, oh, you can blow away, you know, ephemeral environments and you can bring them back and you can, you know, create these repeatable processes that are, you know, easy to, you know, adapt and change over time. But with data, it becomes a lot harder to do that uh, because obviously you don't want to lose your data. Uh, and and you want to be able to understand what what your data even has. I think understanding the data, the rise of machine learning, and being able to manipulate and manage unstructured text, whether it's through generative AI, large language models, those types of things. I think we're you know we're just beginning to see what what we will will be able to do with data in maybe completely different formats than what we're even historically used to. So I think that it's going to like that horizon is 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 very exciting, but it's also kind of daunting because I think it's going to challenge what we've kind of 
expected the way things to be. For example, you know, whenever we're talking about, I don't know, uh, databases, you know, some really popular ones that might come to mind would be Postgres or MySQL, MariaDB, things like that, these structured relational database management systems. Or you might have in the no in the NoSQL world, you might have Mongo or Cassandra, things of that nature. But you also have to think about the new databases that are coming along. For example, one of my favorite newcomers that I think is extremely interesting and just potentially very, very, very useful is one that's called EdgeDB. It's actually built on top of Postgres. It, it extends it. But the way that they're looking at data being an object rather than a row is is actually quite useful for a number of reasons. And so getting into data management, you know, there's definitely processes that DevOps can enhance, right? Whether it be taking snapshots, making backups, doing things like that, that are common, just operational practices in general for any kind of data. But then you've got to take it a step further and say, okay, well, DevOps is about scaling your organization. It's about scaling your business. And so that means that there's an inherent responsibility on the DevOps engineer to be looking at innovative technologies and to be looking at what's coming next and be ready and be prepared for those challenges and try and guide your developers and try and guide your other data engineers in the best way possible. Your DevOps is is where the, that's the center of expertise for your organization, in my opinion, for all technical expertise. You get familiarity with all areas of the business as a DevOps engineer. Most engineering resources don't do that. Most of them stay siloed in their you know particular neck of the woods, especially depending on the size of your organization. If you're at a small company, you you might get the benefit of cross-pollination, right? Like there's some cross-pollination that can occur in a smaller company. If you work for a large enterprise company, especially at like a fang company or anything similar to that, good luck. Like you're not going to be talking to people like there's thousands of people that work there. You know, I worked at Ally Financial for uh, a while. And I think whenever I worked there, they had north of 20,000 employees. And and I mean, just it was like getting on a call and I would I would get on a call and there'd be 60 people on a call. There's 60 people in the whole company I work at right now. It's just a big difference between like what you can do and in a small organization versus a large organization. So as a DevOps engineer, if, if you're working on a team and you're just, you know, you know who your stakeholders are, whether it be developers, whether it be management, whether it be product, whether it be d data engineers, you know, for one of my jobs, I worked with a data engineer very closely. My role was actually facilitating, uh, you know, all of the Amazon Athena services that we needed to use to be able to make Athena work. So like S3, Glue, uh, and some others that, that we wound up needing to pull in for some purposes. And so, you know, DevOps definitely plays a role in helping data engineers do their job. I wish there was a better way, to your point, to making the actual data part the focus. But unfortunately, most of my experience has been around the infrastructure that supports the data rather than the data itself. Yeah, I know there's some tooling like like Liquibase, for example. I mean, that's more for integrating into like CICD where you can provide rule set changes and modify the schema uh, in your CICD pipelines. So like it's a way of modifying the database, but it's it's not a way of like other than other than maybe, you know, best practices or well-architected designs of like, how do you get that data to a place faster? 
Um, right. You can do it through DR, replication, high availability, so on and so forth. But yeah, it's like that, that data layer always needs to persist. And I mean, it's like you can think of data as code. It's big code for sure. But uh, I, yeah, I wonder if there could be some some additional, like that's another avenue that needs to be explored a little bit more. It's kind of interesting, like relational databases, like that structure has been around from like what, 19, I think like 1975 or so. You got yes. rows, columns, and tables, right? <laughs> it's that all the and way down. It's an effective way to manage data. And, you know, the the age old saying of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It, it it does ring true for a lot of a lot of really simple applications that don't need anything more complicated than a SQLite database. I can't tell you how many applications I've walked into that were just over engineered. That that's that's a big problem as well. Is is the, that we we do all of this extra stuff because it's fun and it's cool, but at the end of the day, what we really should be striving for is is you ever heard the mechanical mousetrap analogy? You ever heard? You know, you're familiar with that? If you remove any piece of the mousetrap, it's no longer a functional m- machine. It can no longer do its job. It's been reduced down to its simplest form while still being able to perform its intended function. And a lot of times our applications are not mousetraps. They're not, they're not as simple as they could or should be, which then creates, you know, it cascades into other areas where it's very easy. I mean, you, you work in the same environment I do, Ray. You know that it's easy for problems to creep up uh, that are due to just maybe a, a decision was made. Oh, well, maybe we should put a load balancer here. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. And then maybe you didn't need to do that. And so we can over-engineer solutions just as easily as we can, you know, try and simplify it. But often the choice we make is to over-engineer. And I'm guilty of it just like anybody else is. And so I try to just ask myself, is there anything I can take away from this? And it's still you know, do what it needs to do. Because if you can, you you probably should. That's a good point. Yeah. I feel like oftentimes we want to go for the best well-architected solution. And that often may be more complicated than what feasibly isn't like necessary. I think that's a really good takeaway on that. Uh, you, you touched on something earlier in the conversation, and that was like this, this trend towards AI and machine learning. Uh, have you seen like any developments using AI or machine learning uh, that we can, you know, we can employ like DevOps? Oh, there are many. There's some really, really exciting things. Matter of fact, actually, the gentleman that you mentioned, uh, you know, at the beginning, Peter, as the father of DevOps, one of the most recent tweets that he tweeted, I, I'll have to be honest and admit this. I, I didn't know who he was, so I had to Google him. Uh, that's, I'm, I, I did, I don't have a formal DevOps training or anything like that. This was just, you know, a guy in YouTube and figuring stuff out that that's really all it's been. Um, but I did look him up and I, I was seeing what he was tweeting about and he's talking about AWS guardrails, uh, which I think is really cool. I haven't played with it. I know we just, we're, we're getting out of reInvent and there's a lot of new tools that have been announced and, and released in this space. And. AWS is the cloud that I primarily work in, and so I'm excited to you know get in there and play around with some of their new tooling uh, around AI. But this guardrails uh, service seems to be very interesting. Where you know I've played around with uh, OpenAI's uh, Assistant API, and I've played around with their uh, their GPTs, and and I've I've gotten familiarity with them. I think the concept is really it's intriguing, it's interesting. I don't know how how useful 
it's going to be long term. I think it's kind of uh, I think the assistance API could be extremely useful long term. The the GPTs is what I meant whenever I say I question the usefulness of them long term. But as far as DevOps goes, you know, having guardrails like that service where you're able to ensure data that is moving from one system to another is in fact you know sanitized or there's so like there's all kinds of security implications that we could go into where the ai is going to be much 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 better at redacting sensitive information things of that nature so if you talk about like audit trails and logging uh, i know that you know devops bridges into SRE. And I think, you know, that there's a lot uh, that AI can assist with in terms of getting observability, uh, making more sense of large amounts of data faster is, it, it seems to be one of the strong suits. Like if you think about what most of the demos that they've shown you, it's like summarize this pit of text or whatever, and it's able to take a large amount of text and, and turn it into something very simple for a human to understand very quickly. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's what SRE is doing, right? Like you're taking all of this massive amounts of information that's constantly going on about your system and you're putting it in a dashboard that, you know, an, a, an executive can look at and say, okay, I understand what's going on. And as I think AI is going to be very, very good at that. Yeah, definitely. I know like AWS has, uh, AWS Macy, for example, for um, a way of strengthening your security posture and to you know discovering sensitive data for for compliance and it uses machine learning under the hood to continuously evaluate your s3 buckets and uh, build essentially a data map of your of your sensitive data for you um so you can take action on it i definitely see it in that regard and like i i see devops you know it bridges into the security aspect as well because i think you know having security at your core is definitely a, a great practice yeah, so using utilizing tools like this, I think, is definitely beneficial for not only you know the organization and business objectives, but you know, kind of uncovering security practices across the organization. I don't know which cloud vendor will release it first, but I am excited and looking forward to like the 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 AI assistant or copilot, if you want to borrow Microsoft's branding, around cloud development through prompt engineering. So imagine being able to just chat with an AI bot, then it's like, oh, I need a load balancer in US East one, or I need this. And and it just does it. And I'm, I, you know, other people have thought about doing this type of stuff. Like it's so obvious that they're going to, that will, that has to be the future of how they're going to do infrastructure. It, I, like you talk about DevOps engineering, a lot of our work, infrastructure as code with tools like CloudFormation or Terraform, Pulumi, things like that. I would not be a bit surprised if there's going to be, you know, some sort of AI, IAC, all these alphabets. It's it's just a matter of uh, of time, I think, before we have, you know, AI just generating infrastructure for us. It's, that makes it's, sense. I mean, you have so many no-code platforms as well, right, for, for building out infrastructure. I, I would definitely see, like, a generative AI kind of being that next step to to developing your infrastructure. Like, I mean, you can already do that nowadays if you have the knowledge or if you ask enough questions to, you know, chat GPT or something like that. You, you, you can be a pretty well-versed engineer if you have... Automation templates. I yeah. Mean, it, it can write Terraform. I yeah. mean, 
if, if you know how to put the pieces together, that the last step. And I think honestly, a halfway decent small team of engineers, like two or three, you know, the pizza box team that the Amazon talks about, it, you know, you get four or five guys and six months worth of work. I think you could have a really solid generative AI for infrastructure as code. I mean, and it actually be functional. Yeah, the fact that you can tra train your own models now, even it's like you can kind of, you know, build that to your use case. If you well, if you... I wonder, you know, with Amazon Bedrock, I wonder what all they've, you know, integrated into that particular, like how they train that. And I know they trained it on all of their internal documentation as well. So there's, you know, just an enormous amount of data that's inside of these models that are hyper specific to the cloud that you're working in. So it being able to accurately generate it and then make an API call, get a error message back, troubleshoot the error message, and then fix the code and then reapply it. it. That feedback loop is all of the pieces are there. It's just a matter of putting them together. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how it's transformed. It's like it, it starts with people and processes, but now at this point it's it's becoming the code is managing the code like and you, and you have ai models doing it like yeah i definitely i definitely foresee those two areas you know really integrating their way into i think uh, our work uh going forward still you know for better or for worse like I, I i definitely think it's a good thing that these tools are coming about it it you know it employs better practices across multiple organizations pretty much anybody can do this with you know having this having these technologies at their fingertips like, I think that's a good thing in general. There's definitely some caveats to it, whereas it kind of may decrease the um, engineering knowledge. And it kind of does create a gap, I would say, between more senior engineers or techs in a field versus, say, uh, people just entering it. You you have to have, you know, enough expertise to know if the AI was right or not. And at, at least in the sense right now that what it's generating is accurate because, you know, you, you've heard about the hallucinations and things like that, that these mach machine learning models can do. It's, it's very, very interesting, the science behind how language works and how it's interconnected and that it all boils down to what's what, and I'm oversimplifying this drastically, but it all boils down to the relationships of words is what it what I've been told. That's my understanding of it. Is is that they're essentially computing the likelihood of the relationship of the word. And that's how they're generating these these answers. And then I don't even know if people at OpenAI know how that works. <laughs> like I've heard people make jokes about that. Yeah, I def I definitely could see like yeah, like you mentioned with Amazon Bedrock, uh that really taking off uh, for AWS. Who knows what cloud is going to release it first. Definitely, definitely a lot of movement happening quite a bit faster, you know, as, as AI and machine learning is out there for a longer amounts of time. It's, you know, think of where we were like a year ago at this point, eight months ago <laughs> and, and where we're at now, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's compounding at how fast I would say tech is accelerating at this point. Absolutely. Well, all right. With that, we kind of saw where DevOps started from, where was that in the mid range, and overall at the end, you know, I think I think where we're going with AI and machine learning is probably the direction for the future with building out you know, DevOps practices and tooling, um, and integrating integrating models to 
shift left even further faster but what i would like to do is you know thank you all for joining us here today discussing the agile evolution and the impact that devops brought us uh, i wanted to thank you tom as well as uh, dan really appreciate you guys being here and next week we're going to hear from adam oberhausen uh, tom Gwalski, and lancelot carlson and they will be discussing agile planning so i was on mute there but yeah thank you ray was great, great. thank you dan for your take on devops and your experience